Welcome to Cybersecurity Unplugged, the cyber theory podcast where we explore issues that matter in the world of cybersecurity. Good day, everyone. I'm Steve King, the Managing Director at Cyber Theory. And today's episode will continue to explore the increasing complexity of cybersecurity compliance and the elevated sophistication of the cybersecurity techs, as we've noted in these recent attacks by uh, into Microsoft and then SolarWinds, Excelion, and beyond. Joining me today are Mike Ferris, the CEO and founder of Abacode, the leader in the MCCP space, and Mike Brooks, the resident CISO at Abacode. Ever since this pandemic began, we've seen the threat from opportunistic cyber attackers increase and the instances of ransomware attacks rise above 500 reported incidents throughout last year. That was 2020. In addition, we have elevated pressure from regulatory and government contract compliance requirements. That combination has created an almost perfect storm in which mid-sized and smaller companies find themselves stuck. And now with an estimate of 250,000 companies globally affected by the Microsoft Exchange server attack, we definitely are in a perfect storm. And, you know, without resources necessary to expertly deal with these two challenges, most companies are turning to outsourced alternatives. Abacode is one such company. So I wanted to welcome you guys and thank you for joining me here today. You bet. Good to be here. Thanks, Steve. Good to be here. So we did a research study on the convergence of CMMC and MSSP and MDR last year. And that resulted in a new category that we deemed to call Managed Cybersecurity and Compliance Provider, MCCP. Since you guys are the leader in this category, I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit about the need for a combined service offering of this nature. Yes, and, and thank you, Steve. So what we saw, we saw was a need to finally help clients unify cybersecurity and compliance from what we were hearing from IT and business leadership. Uh, many companies are uh, being driven or acquired to meet a regulatory compliance standard, such as SOC 2, NIST, CMMC, PCI, HIPAA, HITRUST, FedRAMP, and others. And the majority of these companies don't have an in-house compliance officer or a person who's experienced in leading this effort. So in, in most cases, they're, they're really starting from scratch and have to figure all this out alone. Or an organization has already implemented, uh, let's say, a NIST framework, but are now required to adhere to additional compliance standards, such as SOC 2, ISO, and so on. All of these compliance standards require you to implement cybersecurity products and services in order for you to meet the standard and mature your organization. As uh, you can see here, kind of the net effect is the entire endeavor is overwhelming to a business. Most of them don't have the in-house resources to make this happen in an efficient and cost-effective way. And what they ultimately end up with is a, you know, a cobbled together set of you know, five to 10 products and service providers to try and make all this happen which again is costly and clunky. So what we saw was the need to unify the process, you know, and build a program where you can not only quarterback the compliance efforts, but also implement all of the compliance policies, procedures, cybersecurity solutions and services into one unified program. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Mike. Uh, that was Mike Ferris. And Mike Brooks, you you know a little something about this too. What, what is your, is that, consistent with your view of the problem space? 
Yeah, exactly right, Steve. So, you know, in response to to what businesses are dealing with, the real answer is a holistic approach to cybersecurity and compliance. It's, you know, it's a business function that needs to be done continuously. Uh, it's a business function that needs to be done by competent uh, folks. Uh, and it's a business function that, you know, as we can see with recent events is extremely uh, important when it comes to things like business operations and being able to, to operate in a contested environment, which is what we see in the digital world today. So looking at all of that and, and looking back at the kind of origins of, of information technology, when we had things like core services, email, file, print, web, you know, core services that the business needed to operate, um, those were delivered. Those were delivered by the IT teams and, and those became a thing. And we're seeing that same kind of move now in the security and compliance space is there's this core set of capabilities that the business needs to be able to deliver to sustain itself uh, and survive in this contested environment. And, and that's where we're focusing in on and, you know, trying to add the most value we can there with a service stack that, that addresses that need and provides those services in a continuous and consistent manner. That's smart. And uh, your phone must be ringing off the hook. Is a lot of that driven, by the way, due to the um, CMMC press from the Department of Defense on its uh, contractor and subs community? I think that's an example, right? Um, CMMC is certainly an example. And, you know, we're seeing an uptick of compliance standards across industries. Uh, and the reason that is, you know, if you think of compliance essentially as the minimum viable security posture that your vendors and regulators uh, have, right? So they're clearly communicating to you as one of their partners, you've got to meet these compliance requirements because this is our risk tolerance for doing business with you or through you or you know, in partnership with you. So maintaining that viewpoint of it is extremely important because you know, it's going to start to prevent business opportunities, whether that be with the Department of Defense, with, you, with the US government, uh, with a healthcare agency, you know, trust and assurance now have become top of mind because everybody's starting to realize that we're all connected in this digital world and a vulnerability that you have is a vulnerability that I have and I need to know those things. So the compliance standards simply try to define that minimum viable security posture. And you know, you still need to build on top of that. And we can get into a side conversation about compliance versus security. But you know, to tie it off, I, I think we'll see continue to see an increase in compliance uh, regulations, privacy regulations, all things to try and protect the data and secure the environment that business is occurring in today. Yeah. And, and real quick to add on that, CMMC, Steve, is a great example because prior to that, or even currently, is a government-mandated NIST requirement that you self-attest. And they found out this really wasn't being done in a matter they really needed to protect government you know, defense networks. So then CMMC came out to said, okay, we're going to evolve from self-attesting to really making this kind of a third party come in and ensure that you are meeting these requirements and implementing the right cybersecurity standards because we need it. This is critical to the infrastructure, making sure everyone's you know, data is safe, especially you know, the government and the defense department. So now the requirements have escalated and everybody's trying to get their arms around that. Yeah, underscored and, and uh, emphasized by the supply chain attack we just saw with solar winds, and it's now you know spread throughout all of all of our federal government networks. Mm-hmm. I, I know that you guys created this thing called a, a compliance sock too. Why is it important to have near real time compliance updates 
And maybe you can explain a little bit about how that compliance SOC works. Yeah, so historically, most security operations centers, those were running them, whether in-house or out externally, only included you know, analyzing logs, incident management, and either sending, sending a canned report or limited amount of remediation request to decision makers. So we believe you have to take that approach kind of to the next level. And what you know we have done, which is uh, really internally, you know, creating process and tools that allow you know our SOC, and we believe this should be across the board to combine our SOC with industry leading you know SIM tools to monitor compliance controls in near real time. The goal really is you know to help clients evolve to a state of continuous security and compliance. Uh, where you're not only detecting incidents, but preventing these incidents by monitoring the security controls. You know, I come out of the uh, MSSP MDR space, and and my experience in that in that had always been that, you know, small to medium sized businesses, the first thing you want to know is how much this is going to cost me. And it seems to me that in the last few years, as the compliance requirement got more complex, got more burdensome to you know, be current with, and then the flip side of that, the, the cybersecurity challenge is equally complex and complicated. It seems to me that, you know, mid, mid-sized businesses and small to mediums, uh, you know, need to figure out where to offload this. And I'm curious about it, whether what the cost model looks like now for a medium-sized business to get the level of protection and remediation they need. Yeah, so if you do it right, you're correct. It's very costly. They don't have the resources in-house. They would have to find the resources, be able to, to retain those resources in-house, and then it would it would truly take an entire team working around the clock. You know, our approach to unify security and compliance really is to make sure that we can meet not only kind of the, the small to mid-sized organization, but also larger uh, organizations and, and enterprise so that you simplify the budgeting and the entire process. So ultimately, a client could pay one convenient monthly subscription. We believe you can do that for starting at you know between nine to $12,000 a month. And so literally for less than one to two FTEs, you can implement and provide ongoing management of a complete cybersecurity and compliance program uh, for less than one to two FTEs. TEs. Most organizations just can't, can't do it. And, and to be practical, most of our clients we see uh, and prospects, they're not in the business and should not be in the business of running an entire cybersecurity and compliance program in-house. It isn't at the core of what they do. It is at the core of what we do, but it, it is not and should not be at the core of, of what they do. And so if you can do that and implement this program and ongoing management of uh, cybersecurity and compliance program, that's a huge weight lifted off the soldiers of uh, you know clients out there, and that ultimately allows them to focus on their core business while someone else focuses on implementing and managing that cybersecurity and compliance program. Yeah, and if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, you're looking at a about a half of a full headcount head costs. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> varies across the country. Mm-hmm. We've seen many MSSPs attack themselves by ransomware bad guys lately. What do you guys do to make sure that doesn't happen to you and your portfolio of clients? It's a great question. You know, so our team has done what I feel is a really good job of remaining innovative and proactive when it comes to our own security and compliance. 
Our belief is that we should be more secure and compliant than our clients. This is why we became, we feel um, other providers should, we became ISO 9001 certified, SOC 2, NIST, you know, HIPAA, PCI, and SIMMC compliant, and so on. In addition to that, we felt, you know, having an affiliation with academic research institutions such as USF, UNLV, Carnegie Mellon, and groups like InfraGuard keep us and our clients informed on global and emerging threats that aren't, that aren't always known to the public. So, you know, the saying, it, it takes a village, is probably never more appropriate to our stance on remaining secure. Yeah. Where, where does your threat intelligence come from, Mike? So we do get threat feeds from agencies. And again, some of these ac- academics, especially the high-grade uh, universities, have uh, access to agency and other reports that are fed to us in our security operations center. And it's, uh, it's not public. And so um, there's probably six or seven different uh, feeds that we get, along with what we're seeing real time globally inside of our SOC. And that's what's good about having this multiple security operation centers is that we, we're seeing new variants of risk, uh, new iterations and, and the involvement of attacks in real time. So we kind of map that across our entire enterprise and, and share that with, with our clients. Yeah, and that's pretty complicated and expensive to put together. I imagine you know the, you, so you've got you've got all these feeds. You've got you, your security analysts in your socks are actually doing a curation of these in, individual feeds to to sort of uh, aggregate and and come up with a, a, a threat profile, threat picture of your of the landscape. And is that correct? Yeah. So. Uh, I can't imagine a small to medium-sized business or a mid-sized even company, you know, having the luxury of that sort of thing. And, you know, I, I look back in the last six or seven years, that threat intelligence market has matured, but not as much as I would have hoped by now. True. The federal government is obviously under a tremendous amount of stress at the moment. You know, we have new administration Got new players in CISA and and in uh, NSA. A lot of what the prior CISA team had uh, were striving for were was more cooperation between the private and public sector. Are you involved in any of that, or have you been contacted? Uh, do you see any of that happening? I guess from your point of view, third party like agencies that engage with us. Yeah, yeah, like CIA, FBI. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So we not only uh, are approached by agencies, but again, we're very proactive in this collaborative effort with the agencies, with uh, academic research, companies like uh, organizations like InfraGuard and, and others to where we're, we're constantly seeking right information and asking questions and where can we where can we aggregate, find and aggregate the most amount of information, again, globally, right, that uh, we can feed into our team to be able to keep up with this real time? And, it, and it, it does take a multi-pronged approach. You just can't get it from one place. So our approach is getting it uh, in multi, multiple areas. And it's been, uh, it's been really, really, really good for our team. We're even helping some of our product companies evolve their products from an engineering side to meet kind of what we're seeing real time. So it's been not only good for our clients, but also our partners on the uh, product, software, and solution side. 
What do you tell the customers that are running you know, non-cloud versions of Microsoft Exchange Server now that this attack has occurred? And the presumption must be that they have threat actors living in their networks now. I mean, obviously, I would assume that you would your advice would be to apply all of the quick fixes and patches that Microsoft has released since uh, in the last four days. But patches by themselves aren't going to prevent the threat actors who are nesting in the networks right now or detect them. So, what, what, I mean, you know, short of ripping out your Active Directory server and replacing it, what do you, what is your what is your recommendation to your customers? Yeah, I'll, I'll give my answer, and then Mike can you know chime in. I think. I think there are a lot of organizations that feel if I move to the to the cloud, I'm safe, and we know that's not true. And then uh, most of the times when they are going through digital transformation, whether it's you know being co-located at a data center and or have moved to the cloud, that's one of the most vulnerable times, right? Because you don't want to move an unsecure environment into what you think is a secure environment. So just making patches and thinking that's you're good is almost like just training your people on what to click on and what to not click on makes you safe. Fantastic, really good to do. One of the many things that has to be done in an organization, but take monitoring. If you're not truly providing 24-7 continuous monitoring of your entire landscape, whether it's on-prem, data center, or fully in the cloud, you do not have the level of visibility to know if someone's in your system right now. And so uh, you have to take a different thought process of how you're how you're attacking. Yeah. So Mike Brooks, are you back with us? I am. I am. Sorry for the disconnect there. Yeah, I definitely agree with Mike on that. You know, with regards to the exchange servers or you know vulnerabilities in general, right? And this is where the framework approach is is critically important. Whether you're aligning to you know the NIST cybersecurity framework or some other industry standard framework those key functions need to be very well rehearsed inside of an organization or from a service provider, because you've got to be able to not only respond and recover from a thing, you know, this exchange server vulnerability, right? You've got to be able to patch that and continue to operate, but you also need to be identifying the business requirements in terms of, you know, cloud adoption as an example, right? At at some point, servers are going to migrate to the cloud, you know, whether that's 2021 or 2025, you know, I think the writing's on the wall that, you know, cloud is going to be part of uh, your, your business strategy, your data strategy, and we need to, uh, need to make sure we've got a good strategy and plan to move data to the cloud or, you know, out of a vulnerable environment, especially if it's on, you know, legacy technologies. Now, in addition to that, you also have to have the, the constant uh, monitoring, as Mike was saying. You've got to be able to identify those, those indicators of compromise. You've got to be ident- able to identify that anomalous behavior. You've got to be able to, uh, to know when patches are coming out. You've got to have, this sounds simple, but it can be complicated, especially when a business needs to operate 24-7. You need to be able to patch your systems. And, and that can be difficult if the business is up and running and operating. So I think that's where the framework comes back to really provide a lot of stability to, to the data environment. Uh, and then also understanding which data is critical to business operations, which data is nice to have, and then you know starting to prioritize resources against those uh, those data sets. Yeah, that sounds like it all makes sense. You know, as we look back on the SolarWinds attack, look back, it sounds like it was two years ago. 
But we, and we just learned that we had another hundred technology companies were attacked as well. In you know, in addition to the Excellions of the world and and the Sonic Walls technology companies that we're all relying on because we're all in the digital world here, and we have to have software to help us run our businesses of all kinds. Just like Solar Winds was a you know network monitoring software tool, having nothing in particular to do with cybersecurity. But these technology companies have all been attacked. I've heard very little about that since that's happened. What has it been, three weeks now? Doesn't this raise the stakes for every company running any one of those technology solutions? And if that's true, what what does a future victim do about this at this point? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll take a shot at that, Steve, and then um, you know Mike can can weigh in too. Yep. You know, for me, I think it's all about again. You know, you want to minimize exposure. You, it really is beneficial to understand who you're doing business with, what applications are critical and essential to business operations, which applications are non-essential but required, maybe from a, from a business standpoint understanding what those vendor risk profiles look like, doing some due diligence internally on assessing that risk, and then being able to minimize your footprint, whether that, you know, reduce uh, business operations to only those systems that are critical while you're assessing risk and trying to determine impact on other things. You know, there are ways to segment data, to segment applications, to restrict access. Again, back to the basics, I think, you know, I think a lot of this Problem. It doesn't go away, but it can be mitigated significantly with with you know strong fundamental approach to cybersecurity, the blocking and tackling, the core services that I spoke of earlier. You know, risk management that needs to be a thing. Uh, the business needs to be good at it. Vulnerability management, incident response, um, continuous monitoring and detection. These are things that the business needs to be able to respond and react to continuously, not not a set it and forget it kind of thing. So you've got to be able to be continually assessing your footprint, your exposure, your applications, your systems, because it's our job as security professionals to keep the business running and to keep it running safely and securely. And and that's where we need to focus. Yeah, and I'll I'll tack on to that because you bring up another great point that these hundreds of companies, IT technology companies that are being attacked many of them are you know outsourced IT you know MSP bar software development firms so they are in the business of providing their specific service but they have adopted some security products and solutions that maybe they're delivering to their clients and maybe their clients are asking them about security and what do we do around security and compliance well it's really just not the core of their business so sometimes those companies can get lulled into thinking because we're a technology firm and, and we're trying to deliver a, a few security you know, technologies ourselves, uh, it's not at the core of what they do. So our belief is a great model is some kind of governance or checks and balances that these companies have, and then ultimately deliver to their client between security and everything else IT, meaning their perfect case scenario is to reach out to a, a true, you know, solely dedicated cybersecurity and compliance firm and make sure that, that they have a third party monitoring them, right? A company who only their sole focus is on cybersecurity who can monitor them is just as important of what they're doing, you know, for their clients. So I think the right business governance needs to come into play and that will help uh, mitigate a lot of this. 
Yeah, I'm, that's absolutely right. And I've a very rational approach. And since we're apparently, yeah, out of time today, we should get back together later this year and and see if any of this has happened and which direction the the uh, threat landscape is headed. And we can talk about how much of this is uh, progressed or or regressed. So in any event, I wanted to thank our guests, both Mike Ferris and Mike Brooks again. Thank you guys for taking time out of your schedule and to you know share your opinions and help us understand a little bit about these uh, high-risk cyber conditions and some ways in which companies might approach improved security and compliance. And thank you to our listeners for joining us in another episode of our exploration into the complex world of cybersecurity and beyond. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve King, signing out. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cybersecurity Unplugged. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook at Cyber Theory, or send us an email at social at cybertheory.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybertheory.io forward slash podcast. Until next week, thanks again.